What's happening, Hardscapers? This is episode 145 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today we're joined by Mike Andes. He's the owner of Augusta Lawn Care Services. They're doing big things in the lawn care industry, as well as him himself with all the content that he's producing around business ownership. A lot of great things from YouTube to Instagram, TikTok, wherever you can find Mike Andes, as well as his new book, P4P. That's P, the number four P this is pay for performance which we get into in this interview to help you and how it can apply to the hardscape industry we want to say thank you to a new sponsor in light outdoor lighting they have low voltage outdoor lighting solutions for your projects and check them out at in light design on Instagram and we'll be talking more about them later in this episode as well without further ado let's get into it Today, I'm joined by Mike Andes. He is the founder and CEO of Augusta Lawn Care with franchises throughout North America, as well as several other projects from bookkeeping to online marketing and the author of the P4P, Pay for Performance, Why Hourly is a Failing Formula. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Uh, let's get started. I got tons of questions for you, man, and uh, this could go on forever, but uh, let's just get started to learn a little bit more about you, yourself, for our audience. Uh Tell us how you got into lawn care. Uh, nice short form story because you've got a lot of great videos on your YouTube. People can go check out about your story. But uh, short form here, how did you get started in lawn care? What brought you to today? Yeah, I was 11 years old when I, I started mowing lawns um, and I kind of did it as a way to pay my way through college. I started college when I was really young. I was 13 years old. I was become a surgeon. So uh, really mowing lawns was a way to just kind of uh, start paying that, paying my way through. My parents didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my dad was a minister. So, you know, I knew I was gonna have to pay for it. So uh, that's how my brother and I kind of really got started in the industry is just uh, going door to door in our neighborhood and trying to pay our way through college. And uh, you, you started college really young. So uh, then you, you paid through college with this lawn care. So then uh, you, you graduate lawn care and I'm just sorry, fill in in your own story here, but where does it come to a point where you decide to go all in on lawn care? How old were you and what, what brought you to getting that going? Yeah. So I was 18. I had finished my uh, undergrad degree and I was planning to go to medical school. Uh, and I went to Africa for six weeks, volunteered there in some orphanages and hospitals and did some crazy cool procedures and surgeries and all the rest of it. Came back here. I was really just disappointed with the bureaucracy, the insurance side of things. And I really just did not want to be in the same, doing the same procedure in surgery for the next you know, 40 years of my career. And so that's when I decided, hey, I was going to take this mowing thing that I was doing uh, and make it big. And that's when we started Augusta Lawn Care. So I was 18 years old when that happened. So then when does this vision for franchising and everything that you got going on with Augusta and starting this pay for performance, where does that uh, kick off? Because I know in your book, you stated an employee uh, and you thought of losing this employee would really ruin you. So you're thinking about offering him equity uh, to keep him from moving. And you reflect on that in the book that that would have been a bad call. Uh, but where does this vision come from with Augusta and franchising and everything that you're doing there? Yeah. So like I had started landscapebusinesscourse.com and I'd done that after getting in a kind of a close call accident uh, when I got caught in a PTO of a dump truck. And I realized just how important systems were to a business. And so I started documenting that on landscapebusinesscourse.com and my videos and on YouTube and things. And that was fun. I enjoyed that. But at the end of the day, I was just a consultant and I was just someone that, you know, gave their opinion. I didn't have any skin in the game when I was trying to help other landscapers. And so I 
I wanted to franchise so that way, hey, when I say something, it's in our best interest for both of us because I have skin the game, you're part of the brand, and uh, that I actually have the power to almost uh, you know, dictate what people do in terms of implementing certain systems like pay for performance or profit sharing or open book management. These are things we believe in, and uh, I could talk all day long about on videos, but like 1% of people will actually do it uh, versus when it, when it comes to the franchise, uh, we can actually make changes. And our goal with the franchise is to become very large and be able to have an impact on the industry as a whole uh, by basically making sure our competition matches what we're doing in terms of customer service and, and all the things that we do, just kind of trying to lay, uh, raise the level of professionalism in this industry of lawn care landscaping. Definitely. And uh, this is going to be a wide ranging interview. So don't be uh, alarmed when I just ask a question out of nowhere that doesn't seem to make sense. But uh, why the dog? Where does the dog come from? What was the choice about making the dog uh, a part of the brand? And has it achieved what you wanted it to do? Yeah, so the role, the reason it was a dog specifically and a golden retriever specifically is uh, people do remember uh, icons better than they do names, right? So the word Augusta, some people might remember that, but they're going to remember our yellow trucks and the dogs, uh, the dog uh, a lot faster. And so when people see me around town, like, oh, you own Augusta? Is that like the company that uh, has yellow trucks and a dog? Like that's the immediate brand that comes to their mind. So it's just a matter of when someone sees our trucks, when someone sees our website, what sticks in their head and do you do anything that's memorable enough for them to remember? So whether that be painting your truck pink or whatever it is, how do I actually just not only be seen by customers, but remembered. Uh, and doing something that's memorable, like painting your truck yellow or having a dog is really important to branding. And we tried it with one truck at the very, very beginning years ago. And what I found is all of a sudden, I'd go to estimates and people were like, oh yeah, I see your trucks everywhere, the yellow ones. And I'd be like, uh, we only have one yellow truck out of 10. And yet that was what people were remembering. So when we have all of them painted yellow, again, people, it's not, that they don't see the trucks. It's the fact that they don't remember them if they're just white and they don't have decals or whatever it might be. And so having that uh, brand image of the dog and, and the yellow trucks is kind of what is a part of our brand and has, has really just, a, you know, what is remembered by a client or, or a potential client. Definitely. Uh, getting into P4P, uh, does, is this going to work for project-based businesses like, like a hardscape business? Uh, or is it when it comes to a project-based business that's definitely taking more than a week or two to complete a project, uh, is it a matter of breaking that project down by goals to achieve within a pay period so that you can implement a nice and easy P4P? Or, or is it a matter of once that project's done, did we hit a certain gross profit margin that we can say we accomplished and then we can give P4P? Can you just expand on this a little bit for me? Yeah. So first of all, pay for performance is, uh, you know, or what we call P for P is basically the employee gets a percentage of the labor, labor revenue that they earn for the business. Right. And a lot of times in hardscaping, people are like, well, I can't do that because I have big projects that are hundreds of hours long. I take weeks on end. And it's absolutely possible. We have a lot of landscapers that do it uh, and use P for P. Uh, the bottom line is it, I don't ever want to type P for P or pay for any sort of pay compensation to the percentage of profit on that job because then I'm compensating someone based on something they don't have control over. They don't have control over the pricing of the materials. They don't have control over whether or not we need to have deliveries or not or whether or not something was damaged and there was more cost to the job. They are only going to care about and the only thing they can really dictate is the labor on the job. They cannot dictate material markup or if I charge for the estimate or if I charge dumping fees. They simply are going to be affecting the labor. So I don't want to 
tie it to like the percentage of a, on a job site because that's also can be you know do we include insurance and we include overhead and fuel like that starts becoming a very gray area. I want to be very black and white. That is, look, there's five thousand dollars worth of labor on this job site. You're gonna get one third of that at the end of the job. It doesn't matter if it takes you 50 hours, 100 hours, or 10 hours. Like, you're getting that same amount of money regardless. And it's up to you to figure out how to be most efficient getting that project done. And so, you definitely can work with big jobs. You also run into having the problem with, you know, different levels of skill. And so, what we have is what we call a project manager that is going to get a dollar per hour, dollar per budgeted hour bonus on a project. So, if there's 200 budget hours on a big project, you got four or five guys working on it. You're going to delineate one or two of those guys as project managers. They're typically going to be the ones with the most skill, the ones operating the equipment, the ones doing a walk with the customer, the one that kind of uh, figures out where the materials are going and where the equipment's being dropped off. They're going to be the project managers. And we're at our company, we give them $1.50 per budget hour. So that's going to be $300 of project management bonus on that job at the end to which I can give to the high, more highly skilled individuals. Because otherwise, all the other labor revenue is going to be split evenly throughout the crew. Got it. So uh, with this paid for performance, I I love it. And I've been trying to think about how to implement this into my business or some sort of uh, compensation for employees, because I feel like this, uh, you know, younger generations are really thinking about being entrepreneurial. This is a thing that's really taken over uh, younger generations, including myself as well. Uh, do you find that if, if, if potential employees are applying to Augusta, do you find that if they know that you have this system in place, that you're getting self-driven employees, you're almost pre-qualifying employees to apply to Augusta because they're self-driven, because they see that entrepreneurial spirit that they're going to get paid more if they work harder? Uh, is, is it sort of self-fulfilling in that, that uh, you know, you're getting those employees applying to you? Yeah. And it's somewhat of a filter, right? Like, cause if someone's, if they know that they just sit in the truck all day and are on their phone and they know they just bum around going from gas station to gas station and sapping the clock with, you know, 40 smoke breaks, they're not going to apply. Right. Or they're going to hear about P4P and bail. Right. So bad hires get smoked out very quickly. Also due to the fact that now when they're working with another crew member, that crew's members pay is somewhat dependent on that other, their, their, their coworker working well. So they're going to let you know very quickly if that person's slacking off or being lazy or whatever it might be. So it's definitely kind of like a filtering mechanism in my mind. And the only people that want P4P is the high performers because they can make significantly more money. Whereas a person who is going to be lazy, they don't want to work there and no one else wants to work with them. So they get smoked out pretty quickly usually. And then, so if you do run into that situation where an employee complains about another employee on their crew, uh, assuming it's like a two person crew, how do you deal with something like that? We take it pretty seriously because like we don't do a whole lot of quality control uh, from management because that's cost overhead. Uh, it really is a matter of, you know, what does your team say about you? If you're consistently getting multiple people complaining about your work ethic, how fast you're working, if you're not showing up and pulling your weight at the job sites, at the end of the day, they're getting a percentage of labor revenue split between them. So they're not making any more or less money. So again, very quickly people will talk about this. And so we react very heavily on the, uh, the opinions and the feedback given by crew members and just it's good for culture because they have a direct impact on who gets hired who gets fired uh, who gets trained they want them trained up as quickly as possible too because they want them to be efficient when they're working with them so uh kind of a, a method of filtering out i would say a lot of the low performers is, is definitely built into the system with all your experience with the system and uh you know how you implemented it 
any negatives that you could talk about for P4P in terms of how employees first handle it when you talk about it, when you say you're going to implement it? Uh, can you talk about negatives involved with this? Yeah, the biggest negative, if you have people that are a higher pay rate or dollar per hour rate than what you're going to institute as your base pay in P4P. So in P4P, they make a percentage of labor revenue, but they also can't make less than a certain amount per hour. So we still have them clock in and out. We still make sure they're you know legally getting overtime and at least minimum wage in our state. Minimum, minimum wage is like 1250, but we pay base pay of 18. So you got to be competitive somewhat with that base pay. Um, so we're going to make sure that that's all done. But the problem that happens is when people want to switch to P4P after paying hourly for so long, and you have a whole bunch of your employees have been around for a long time, making 25, 26, 27 hour, $30 an hour if they're hard sleeper. Uh, and now all of a sudden you're trying to institute a base pay that's significantly lower than that. That's going to always be the biggest hurdle. And so if someone's thinking about instituting P4P and they're running the numbers in the background and we give people the tools to do that. But like if they did that, the biggest key I would say is if you're planning to do P4P down the road or want to do it as you grow, make sure that your base pay that you hope to pay your employees is you're not paying people more than that currently on hourly. Because the people that will leave are the people that go from $25, $30 per hour guaranteed to now, hey, Base pay is 20, but now you got to earn anything above that. That's when you start to lose people, especially the ones that are, you know, have been around for a long time. And you just start to keep paying them more and more and more and more because they keep asking for it. They ask you for raises. Well, now P4P kind of reveals the fact that potentially they're not earning that much money for the business and that there's actually young, hungry, new employees that are making more money for the company. And so P4P is a complete meritocracy. It's not based upon who worked here the longest, who knows the boss, who asked for a raise, who's having, you know, a family hardship and has asked for more money. That's stuff is all very arbitrary to, uh, you know, personalities instead of performance. And that's what drives, you know, numbers in a business. We also want to say thank you to Inlight for sponsoring today's episode. Did you know that one of the easiest ways to grow your hardscape business and increase your revenue is by incorporating low voltage outdoor lighting to your projects? Using lighting can take your projects to the next level, make you more profit and add that wow factor and make your business stand out. As a professional hardscaper, we know you need reliable and high quality products to avoid callbacks and wasted time on job sites. That's why Inlight offers some of the highest quality lights and is the quickest system to install on the market. Their patented easy lock connector ensures that lighting will be the easiest thing you install every time. No heavy lifting, no massive machinery, just plug and play. Not only that, but InLight also provides many educational resources like online and in-person training, installation videos, unbeatable customer support, and more. Everything you need to successfully take your business to the next level with outdoor lighting and beyond. It's one of the many reasons why I stand behind InLight and many other companies that provide these educational resources to their clients, to contractors, and to help us grow our businesses. So for more information on how InLight can help grow your business, check them out on Instagram at InlightDesign. That's at I-N-L-I-T-E Design on Instagram. DM them to find out how to put more money in your pocket this season. So how do you get that buy-in? Like as a leader, uh, how do you get that buy-in from employees that are used to getting what they're paid? Uh, and then you're talking about this system and you're getting their feedback on it. Where do, where do you get this buy-in as a leader? Yeah, so we kind of have a three-step pro program for implementing P4P. The first part is you got to run the numbers in the background. You got to run num run P4P without sharing that with your team, so you know generally how much money they're making and where you're going to stack up 
against hourly that you're paying now. Then you're going to present it to your team and you're going to say, hey, look, for the next two pay periods, you guys can't make less than what you're making now on hourly or you can only make higher, like the higher of the two, either P for P or hourly currently. Like that's the only way you know, this will work. So you do two pay periods like that. And then at the end of two pay periods, the third step is voting on implementation. Say, hey, look, we've done this for two pay periods. I've explained each day how it worked, how you made the money. Uh, and ideally, if you write your numbers correctly, they are making significantly more on P4P, or at least the majority of them are. And then you're able to convert over to P4P. And then like, when we did that, we did lose a couple people uh, and they were our highest paid on, per hour, but when they switched to P4P, they weren't making as much, uh, and so they left. But we didn't have to hire any more people because everyone else efficiency went up 20, 30% and was able to get all that work done without them being there. So again, people are like, well, how do you pay more? How do you make more in profit? Uh, and without with the business, like everyone's making more money. Well, yeah, because that's coming out of waste, right? Wasted time, wasted labor, sitting at gas stations doesn't make anybody money, the employee, the, the customer, the business. No one wins in that scenario when people are lazy or people is on their phone all day long doing TikTok. So at the end of the day, it's just a matter of taking that waste and then converting that into dollars and cents that goes into the employee's pockets and the business's profits. In terms of new hires coming into your business, have you had a tough time explaining this system to them or does it make sense for, for them as a, a younger generation coming in and, and it's just like it, it really motivates them to be as efficient and, and good as possible? Yeah, we try to keep it simple on the onboarding process in terms of explanation because really it doesn't usually click for them until two to three, two to three pay periods in or when they get above base pay even one time, like it just takes one time where they're, you know, the first week or two, if they're training or whatever, they might hit base pay. Um, but if they, you know, third, four week, fourth week, they start to get more efficient. And all of a sudden they made $24 an hour on their last paycheck instead of $18 an hour base. Well, that's $6 per hour and times eight, that's $480 of performance dollars on their two week pay period. Like that's a significant amount of money for most entry level employees. And so it's usually from that moment that they really dig into like figuring out the numbers, calculating the numbers in their head, looking at their day and like, okay, I know I'm going to make X amount of dollars based upon this and really start to run the math in their mind. So on the upfront, like in the interview process, the onboarding process, we keep it simple. We say, hey, look, um, P for P is basically you get a percentage of all the labor revenue that you earn for the business every single day. And you're going to see budgeted hours on every single job. Your goal is to try to beat those. If you do, you'll make good money. That's basically all we tell them at the beginning. And then we ha we go through the other parts of the system, like if they have callbacks, if they have damage cases, things like that. But usually it doesn't start clicking until there's actually performance dollars, i.e. money above base pay that's on the table. That's when they really start to dig in and figure things out. One thing I kind of can visualize with this is an employee that's been with you for a while they would most likely be the ones training somebody new. Uh, do you get any resentment from those employees that may have to train, you know, multiple times in a season because that'll take away from their, their performance dollars, having to go through that learning curve of that new employee. Absolutely. Right. So like, there's just so many things like this that why people are like, well, I can't implement P4P because of X. Right. And everyone always has an excuse. I had excuses for years before P4P came along, right? So like I, I, I always thought something like this too. Uh, so each one of those is, is delineated inside the system and it, there's a clarification for each one. So for example, um, you mentioned training. Uh, for us, what we do is we do a $4 per hour bonus to someone's P4P if they're training a new hire. 
right? So what this does is that $4 per hour is on top of their P for P, which means as a trainer, I still want to be efficient with my time and the trainee's time. And I want them to get up to profitability as soon as possible, right? So I'm not going to spend, you know, an entire day on one lawn, figuring out everything or training them an entire day on how to lay pavers. I'm going to train them on like one thing. If I'm mowing, I'm going to train them like the weed whacker and the blower the first couple days. That's it. Cause I want them to become profitable as soon as possible. Then if I'm doing pavers, I'm not going to teach them how to do cutting, you know, cutting the blocks in the first day. I'm going to teach them how to do prep of the base, right? So like that is what is really built into P4P with the trainer. They get a dollar per hour bonus on top of their ba- their uh, P4P dollars. But again, they've got to still be efficient to make that actually show up in their paycheck. Definitely. You had a video recently uh, talking about new hires coming into your company and three years down the road, you don't want to see them there. Uh, otherwise, you say you failed them. You talk about your book, uh, Employee Skills, beyond just cutting lawns. And you want them to deal with customer complaints, get that public relations uh, sort of, you know, not just working on lawn care skills. It's really important to you. Uh, employees coming into Augusta, do you provide them with a roadmap of their success? Or do you kind of wait and see how they're performing, see their strengths with dealing with clients and these skills that they're coming and then kind of sit down with them and then talk about their goals and try to create a roadmap specifically for that employee. What does that kind of look like? Is it a general roadmap for everybody coming into the company? This is where you could be a few years down the road, or is it specific to the employee once you've identified their skills and everything? Yeah, it's very individualized. Like we don't necessarily have a that program or course or something that they have. To, we do have what we call the 3F program. If they want to become a franchisee at Augusta Lawn Care, after two years of working, they're able to join without a franchise fee, right? Like that's, that's you know, one track. The other two tracks are A, like, well, the first track is become a franchisee. It's the 3F program. You work here two years and if you want to you know, start your own business. And we've had several of our local employees do that. Second method is, uh, you know, get these skills that requ- are required to become a manager either a general manager at a location or working at command center or, or at the franchise. And then the third option is go get another job, go do something else, go start your own business, go, go get out of Augusta. But you don't want someone in my mind working frontline labor positions for five, 10, 15 years. It's not good for them. And I'm not, I'm, I would be, the reason I say that I would be uh, disappointed myself if I did that and I'd be laying them down is the fact that I did not give them the skills necessary to go get the next dot spot of their career. And that might mean leaving my company, but again, I'd rather have that in a cultural benefit to everyone else that stays when they say, oh man, like so-and-so, like we lose our best people every year, which is really difficult for our first location, right? Every single year, our best employees leave. They either go start their own business, they go start their own franchise, they go to lawn care, they go get a better job. And that's, that's super hard hard from a labor standpoint, but if you simplify your systems and simplify your services, you're okay. If you standardize what type of blocks you use, et cetera, you can make it easier for that to happen inside your culture. But more importantly, when people see that, when they see that you actually do help people get to the next stage of their career, um, the cultural is like, it changes, right? They actually see that you do care. Like this morning, for example, I go to the local shop, the first location twice a week. I have meetings for 20 minutes or so both days, right? So I'm, I'm there less than an hour a week. But when I go there, literally this morning, we had a meeting with the team and one of the employees wants to start a food truck. So we walked through the process of signing up with the SBA, getting uh, a loan, uh, how to do pricing for a food truck. Like it has nothing to do with lawn care, will not improve my profit margins today. And they know that. Like they see that. And so when they actually see that you do care and you do want them to get the next stage of their career, I truly believe if they're there with you for three months, six months, a year, two years, five years, they're going to be a better employee and they're going to learn more during that period of time. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, with employees coming into your business, where do you find the best leads coming from for getting, you know, filling positions season in and season out and having that turnover? Where, where are those employee applications coming from that tend to be the best employees if you have that sort of statistic? Yeah, so like each market is a little bit different. Right now, we kind of see Indeed is the hot hands for hiring, um, but that changes literally every few months. Uh, Craigslist and Facebook used to be a killer for us. Facebook's still pretty good, honestly, just running an ad on there because you can target uh, based on age and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's a moving target, right? Like right now, Indeed is pretty good for us. Uh, I think that the, the, most people would say the first thing you should do is turn to your employees and offer them what money to bring on a hire, right? So we offer $500 if someone brings on an employee, uh, 250 of that when they sign and 250 of that after 30 days. So like, like obviously that should be where you go first because I'd rather give my employees $500 than Google or Indeed or whatever or ZipRecruiter. So they're, they're definitely, you know, I feel like that's a kind of a circus of constantly changing names of what's the best place to, to find employees. But I'd say definitely, you know, have an incentive program to get existing employees to bring in new employees. That would be the first step. You, you've had some interesting videos on your YouTube channel. Uh, one that comes to mind would be the, uh, uh, an encounter with the customer that uh, they complained about an employee. You went there and you actually did the grass cutting yourself. And uh, then you confronted the the customer and talked about it. And you didn't actually tell them that you were the owner because you didn't want to have to deal with that. Uh, just curious, have you ever had a customer know that you have a YouTube channel? and uh, Or have you ever had a uh, customer like the one that you confronted there uh, complain about those types of videos or anything like that? Yeah, well, the thing to keep in mind is like we mowed that lawn for content. So um, like I only mowed lawns twice last year and they're all just for video content, right? So, and I haven't really mowed any lawns or even been out locally in, in the business for several years just because we have the franchise, right? So people don't really know I haven't had a lot of that interaction with customers. I have it in the community, but not like really much with customers. Um, but in terms of that specific video, the big point, uh, you know, that I was being made there, that was not faked or staged or anything like that. It was actually real. But the reason it was important for me not to say that I was the owner is because then that would be used against the employee. And so for me to say, yeah, I'm the owner, I'm going to take care of everything. Like that's the first instinct of every owner when there's a problem It's like, I'm going to go take care of it. Well, you just disarmed your employees, right? Now they can't take responsibility. They, they, they be, the, everything is going to be coming from the customers as if like, well, I talked to the owner and he said this, like, and it's, it's going to be used against the employee, yeah. right? And so I'm not going to use my positional authority to be like, Hey, I'm the big shot. I'm going to take care of you now. I'm the, I'm the boss. Like, no, I'm going to stand behind the employees. I didn't even know who it was at the time during that video. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, throwing your employees under the bus is just never a good idea. And, 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 and say, Hey, we want, responsible employees that take ownership of their job, but then when something goes wrong, you jump in and start handling it. That's a big problem in my mind from a leadership perspective. Uh, if not lawn care, what kind of business would you have started? Ooh, that's tough. I'd say like, you know, when I did, it would probably have been something in the home services. And I think any, everyone should start there because it's such a great way to get into the in, uh, business in general, learning about hiring, marketing. There's just so many different elements that you learn in a home service business without a whole lot of risk. But that being said, like I was involved in tech. I used to code 
Um, back when I was in college, I did several courses in coding and computer science. So I, I, I don't know. I really enjoy that side of thing. And I also love health, right? So I don't know. I have no idea. Like I truly believe the business, you know, business principles are somewhat universal. So whether I did an app or like we doing software as P4P software.com, um, or if I did a different home service or I did health, like a lot of those business principles are the same, but I think most people should start with a home service. It's just it's a great way to start making profit relatively quickly, low barrier to entry and just so many things that we can learn from in terms of leadership skills and marketing and things like that. What's a belief that you had about business that's changed over the years? That's a good question. Um, I would say a belief that has changed. Ooh. Um, I would say it has, you know, business in general, I'd say from a marketing perspective, the fact that as a small business, you can still do branding. Everyone always says, hey, it's direct response marketing. And like, I do believe that you spend most of your marketing dollars and your budget on direct response, which would be door hangers, flyers, postcards, Facebook ads, Google ads, et cetera. Direct response, they click, they call, they you're having a call to action, uh, direct response, right? Um, whereas I really have, have learned that for a small business, they can, if you focus on one area, one neighborhood, one small part of your town, you can begin to get branding simply because people are always seeing you in that area. So you might have two or three trucks, for example, just getting started. But if you focus all of your marketing, all of your jobs are in just a few neighborhoods, people in that neighborhood are going to think that you exist all over the place and they're going to see you all of the time. So that localized way of getting that much brand penetration and that much brand awareness only happens if you focus on a geographically small area. And so I think the biggest problem for most small businesses and home service businesses especially is we like, oh, well, we need this big area. We need to like serve all these people across our whole city, our whole county, you know, across our whole state. It's like, that's the least profitable way to grow. The least profitable way to grow is adding more services and adding geographical expansion. Whereas if I just locked in on one spot, and did not add more services and just focus, I'd eventually get more and more brand awareness because all of my marketing dollars, all of the attention that I'm focusing on marketing is going to one small area. And I think that is overlooked dramatically. I would have overlooked that years ago. And that is like, well, if I'm going to market, I might as well spend a big net, right? Well, I don't want to boil the ocean. I want to take my puddle and just get my fish every single time. And that's going to happen in the form of small markets, small you know number of neighborhoods or houses that you're really targeting. And then you get brand awareness. People think of Augusta instead of, oh yeah, I, I want a lawn care guy. I'm going to go Google it. No, it's like lawn care, Augusta, right? That connection is made only after multiple touches to a customer. And so most of us don't have millions of dollars to try to market to hundreds of thousands of people and get that kind of affiliation with our brand. But what you can do is zero on maybe a thousand or 2000 homes and really focus your marketing efforts there. And then they're going to see you all the time because you're servicing in their area. And that kind of creates that brand affiliation that then leads to a very low customer acquisition cost because I don't need to do direct response for every single customer that comes in the door. Definitely. Mike, I've got millions of questions for you, but this is a good start. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Where, where can our audience go to find out more about you, everything that you got going on over there? Yeah, just YouTube. Just YouTube. You can search Mike Andes. Uh, MikeAndes.com is there too. There's a bunch of resources, but uh, yeah, anything we can do to help, just feel free always to reach out. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Go check out Mike Andy's wherever you can find them there at Instagram, TikTok, and especially his YouTube channel for great business insight. And we'd love it if you subscribe to our podcast, left us a rating and review. This really helps us get traction with this podcast, allows us to attract more great guests to deliver you more value. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.